Welcome to Span Reads, not your typical rereads podcast, a 17 shard series where we reread the Cosmere and are giant nerds about it. Unlike the traditional reread style, we won't be going through each book chapter by chapter, but instead looking at different themes and the placement of the books within the wider Cosmere. Each Span Reads series will bring you four episodes. The first three, Reactions and Retrospectives, Character relationships and magic systems used in the story will be spoilers for that book and any prior books in the series only. Then we will cap things off with a full spoiler Cosmere episode. Today, we will be talking about the Hero of Ages. Joining me is Mish. Hi, also known as Burst Rainbow Rose. Also joining me is Ian. Hey, I'm your writer. Also Matt. Hey, comatose on the forums, Rashendi trash, other places. <laughs> Next up, we have Rosemary. Hey, I'm K-Myth. And lastly, we have Katie. I'm Aeonine on the forums and Discord. Welcome. And I am Jessie or Lady Lameness. This episode will have spoilers for Hero of Ages, Well of Ascension, and Mistborn the Final Empire only. There will be no other spoilers for any other books in the Cosmere, including Era 2, Mistborn. Start off with a recap. Cat time, kids. The book opens with Marsh fighting Ruin's control and failing. He kills a terrorist keeper for a new Inquisitor spike. And there we go. The tone is set. Doesn't this look fun? A couple of Scoffellows worrying about the impending Coloss invasion and Emperor Ellen Venture makes a grand entrance and starts giving orders. Our beloved Scadrian cinnamon roll has come such a long way. Hensoon, meanwhile, is not having a good day. He's imprisoned by his own people. They intend to kill him as a contract breaker and for revealing the Condor's greatest secret, but instead he demands judgment, risking in eternal imprisonment. Uh, Elend leads those townsfolk in an assault in the Coloss camp. Vin shows up, his first army, and tears through them like the adorable little ball of destruction she is. She uses emotional allomancy to start stealing Coloss from the Inquisitor, and Ellen follows suit. They draw out that Inquisitor, who tries to get a spike into Ellen, but before he can succeed, Vin uses a Coloss to go smashy in the Inquisitor face. Ellen grabs the remainder of the army. Sezed, meanwhile, is having a crisis of faith. Losing Tinned Will has sent him into a depression, and so now he's going through all of the religions in his mental minds, trying to find the right one. He and Breeze diplomatically conquer the city of Lakal, because that's apparently what they do these days. Uh, in the aftermath of the Coloss battle, Vin and Ellen claim the Lord Ruler's cash underneath the city's steel ministry building. Ellen reflects on how he's changed and how he wished he could rule differently. The Lord Ruler's message to ear left information about Malatium and the Coloss and Condra's weakness, as so Tensoon is apparently at least partially suffering for nothing, because Vin was going to find it out anyway. Uh, they also find the map to the fifth and final cache in Phaedrix, and Vin learns that Ruin can potentially hear anything she says and read anything she writes. Breeze keeps trying to annoy Sezed by complaining about the color of the apocalypse. Sezed keeps being a sad boy. And Tensoon, headed towards Judgment, have some Kandra backstory, 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 and his just trial doesn't go well, but at least he's able to get his message heard. Vin is avoiding hanging out with the villagers because she's guilty about the mist fallen and worrying about everything, and she has a chat with Human the Coloss, and it's super weird, and she also worries that her friends are beginning to give up. Everybody is sad and depressed. It's 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 all bad. 
Um, and Ellen has a meeting about the encroaching mist. Vin has been avoiding hanging with the villagers because she feels guilty about the mist fallen and is worried about everything. She has a chat with human the Coloss and it's kind of weird. And she's also worried that her friends are beginning to give up. Ellen has a meeting about the encroaching mists, trusting in Kelsier's crew to again achieve the impossible. Set, as an aside, complains that he was no part of that and is present under protest. And Ellen, in supreme sass boy form, says, I wish I cared enough to apologize. Ellen prepares to inoculate his soldiers against the mists. Vin contemplates the way the mists have changed, pulling away when they once fueled her allomancy. Human points out, her, out to her that the mists hate him the same way they do her. Soldiers get inoculated, and Demo, after a conversation about faith with Ellen, joins the mist fallen. And Sazed's convoy stops in Luthadel to resupply. Sazed goes to visit his people in their new home, which is the Pits of Hafsen. This will be important later. Spook has been flaring tin and turning himself into a savant because that's a great idea. It has side effects. Um, he's just that desperate to be more useful. And he has a super huge crush on the citizen's sister, the citizen being the de facto ruler of Erto. Uh, Spook attends an Erto execution because the citizen's been killing anyone with noble ancestry and gets some intel to count the skulls afterwards. He takes a wrist and grandstands to the citizen's sister, gets himself chased. In the fight to escape, he realizes the citizen is an allomancer as well as some of his guards. Ooh, sneaky. Spook gets himself spiked without understanding what it means and falls. He gets captured and is sentenced to die by fire. Kelsier's voice wakes him and shows him his new pewter power and leads him to escape safely. Kelsier. Tensoon is on display to showcase his punishment. A conversation with Melan gives him, who was like the Chondra that he mentored, gives him the opportunity to trick the center, second generation to giving him his dog's body bones back. Vin grapples with the problem of ruin and lends a sympathetic ear to Ellen's concerns about his rule. Statistics from one of the scribes finds that the exact percentage of Mistfallen out of total population is 16%. Meanwhile, Sazed learns that the terrorists appear to be immune to the mists, and they do make some detailed notes that none of this seems to apply to nobles. Curiouser to curiouser. <laughs> Ellen's army arrives at Phaedrex after some discussion on how to proceed. He sends Vin inside on a reconnaissance mission. She finds the city in good condition, well run, relatively prosperous. Her meeting with the first of Set's informants supports this. She almost meets Hoyd, but experiences a mysterious aversion to talking to him. She senses an unknown mistborn and plays a game of chase with them and then encounters the mist spirit. She discusses the encounter with Ellen and he is best husband pony and throws all into supporting her. And then they move on to planning to corner Yeoman, the ruler of Phaedrix, and decide they're going to sneak into the city and attend a ball. Spook, adjusting to his new elementic power and learns that he's gaining some notoriety amongst the ska of Erto. When Sazed arrives, his meeting with the citizen doesn't go well. Book leads Sazed and Breeze to the Canton of Inquisition building, and they set up shop there with the city storage cache conveniently underneath, which is really where they make their base. Ellen and Vin attend the ball. Vin makes some social waves, like she do, and Ellen catches up with an old friend. His conversation with Yeoman doesn't go well, because he starts off with reminding Yeoman that Ellen's wife killed Yeoman's god, and then falls into his old sass patterns. On the bright side, at least he didn't tell Yeoman that Vin actually released the thing the Lord Ruler had been opposed to his entire reign, because that would have gone even worse. But he and Vin at least finally get a chance to dance together for the first time. 
And he is Ellen, so of course he trolls Vin by pretending to read a book first. But, you know, the book was the one that he was reading when they first met, so it's also kind of romantic and adorable, and I really do love this ship so much. The Imperial camp is attacked, and Vin is challenged by the same mysterious Mistborn, a distraction to allow Yeoman to attack the Colossus encampment via trebuchet bombardment, cutting the force in half. Human the Coloss shows Vin how to make new Coloss, leading to parallels with the Inquisitors and the discovery of more of how hemalurgy works. Says it and Breeze learn about the survivor of the flames and prepare to witness an execution. Spook, the actual survivor of the flames, is having to fend off increasingly murderous suggestions from Kelsier and rescues the people from that execution. And damn if the others can figure out how a mere tin eye pulled it off. Because they see him and they recognize him. When Spoke gets back to the base, he sees others where others failed at convincing Seized to use his metal mines again to access engineering information vital to Spook's plan to topple the citizen and take her toe. Side note, Marsh is rampaging around under Ruin's control and it's all bad. He gets a spike into Lord Penrod, the King of Luthadel, and this is worse. Vin and Ellen attend another ball, a cover for Vin to try to sneak into the storage cache. She succeeds, but it's a trap. And she's locked inside while Ellen is forced to escape on his own. Even worse, Vin is kept company by Ruin himself, though he can't do much more than taunt her. Uh, she takes the opportunity to glean more information about him from their interaction. While fretting about Vin's captivity, Ellen breaks up a fistfight in his army because apparently people are dumb and superstitious and have decided that the people fall into the mist must be bad. He orders Demo to take the mist fallen back to Luthadel to assist Penrod covering that issue and uh, also getting the conflict away. The citizen's sister, Beldra, the object of Spook's crush, visits the, the Inquisition building to speak to Spook and try to convince them all that her brother is a good man. They take her captive as leverage. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And soon is free and horrified at the state of the world. Luthadel is a mess and he deeply regrets ever having left. Remembering the location of Kelsier's bones, he uses them to enact a visitation from the survivor to guide the people to safety in the coming cataclysm and to gather faulty information on Vin's location. Vin gets a visit from Ellen's old friend. After some discussion, she agrees to drink some drugged mine because it's her only way out of the cavern, though she does try and fail to use pewter and Duralumin to shrug off the effects. She awakens Metalless and Yeoman informs her that he intends to execute her for the murder of the Lord Ruler. Ruin shows up to gloat, and Vin puts important pieces of the puzzle together, not the least of which is the realization that Ruin believes she has the ability to stop him. Meanwhile, Ellen goes to steal more Coloss. He's puzzled by the lack of an Inquisitor, and that it takes Duralumen for him to seize full control, because normally he doesn't need to do that. On the way back, the enormity of the situation finally overwhelms him, and for a moment, he kneels down in the ash and is ready to give up. The mist spirit appears and kind of brings him back around. It tries very, very hard to mime tell him that the mist fallen are alamancers, but Ellen just doesn't get it. He's like, what the WTF, mate? And preservation is like, fine, I guess I'll just lie down and die because you're too stupid to figure this out. Spook leads the revolt and confronts the citizen, and Kelsier urges him to kill. 
Beldra reveals herself as the true Elemancer to save her brother, and now the fake Kelsier urges Spook to kill her, too. Ruin reveals his true nature, telling Spook how to steal Beldra's power, but instead he rips out the spikes from himself and the citizen, freeing them both from Ruin's influence. The city is on fire, and the only way to save it is to flood it, but Beldra has disabled the guards whose job it was to do it. So, maybe not such a good idea to take her captive? Uh, Spook pushes himself into the fire, extinguishing his tin to numb himself to the pain, and succeeds in triggering the flood, but at a great cost to himself. He is super injured. And Tensoon arrives in Urto, trying to track down Vin in his dog bones, and he meets some guards, and the guards are like, no dogs allowed! And Tensoon says, hello! And the guards are like, wait, what? Um, so... He gets to go have a chat with Breeze and Seized, and the latter has a revelation about his crisis of faith, added with something that Tensoon called him, and finally he realizes that the Chondra have answers he's been working for. The truth that the first Chondra were transformed ferrochemists is finally out! He leaves with Tensoon to be taken to the Chondra homeland. Vin makes a try at attacking Yeoman and sees him use Atium, though when confronted he denies being Mistborn. His insistence that the Lord Ruler must still be alive makes Vin realize he's, realize he's not really intending to execute her. He just wants information and proof that his god still lives. Slowly, she starts to wonder if he's simply an ATM misting, which nobody before would believe existed. And finally, she baits him with some information and uses Yeoman's faith to worm her way in. During their exchange, Vin finally realizes what Ruin is after, the ATM, just in time for Marsh to arrive to claim it. Ruin is enraged when he learns that the ATM isn't there. Ellen's forces are massing in the city, but Vin is certain that he won't attack the city. And she turns out to be right, because Ellen is, you know, again, best pony. Book is close enough to death, he's able to get a message from the real Kelsier. At least I assume that's kind of why he was able to hear Kelsier. He has a desperate message to get to Vin, and Gordel, the soldier whom Vin once convinced to switch sides against the Lord Ruler so many years ago, volunteers himself to take it. Vin tricks Ruin into thinking she'd known about his desire for the ATM the whole time and convinces him she knows exactly where it is. Marsh orders Yeoman to send his men to attack Ellen's camp. Rather than engage, Ellen chooses to retreat, but Ruin wrests control of the Coloss from him and the fight begins. Ellen orders his human troops to attack the Coloss to protect the people of the city. Vin wipes a vial of metals from Marsh, and then that fight begins. Tensoon drops Sezed off the Kandra homeland, armed with information, and then continues on his way to try to find Vin. Vin swipes a vial of metals from Marsh, and then that fight begins. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Tensoon drops Sezed off at the Kandra homeland, armed with information, and then continues on his way to try to find Vin. Sezed introduces himself to the Condor and requests an audience with the first generation and verbally spanks the seconds until the first interrupt. He proposes comparing notes to figure out exactly what Ruin changed in order to figure out his plans and discovers the trust. Which is, surprise, the Atium. Ellen's forces have been allowed into Phaetrix to take refuge and he and Vin reunite. It doesn't last long though as Vin decides to use the Atium ruse to draw Ruin away from the city. Marsh, busy hating himself, is retaken by Ruin to intercept Gordel and Spook's message. He reads it and gains a new understanding of Ruin. This is important. Ellen finally makes the connection between the mist fallen and snapping. Took you long enough. And Ruin orders the attack on Phaedrix in response. Vin leads Ruin to Luthadel. She taunts him and he sets his inquisitors upon her. She fights well, but they overwhelm her and her plan to draw on the mists doesn't seem to work. Because every other time, it's been when she's about to die. And now she's about to die, and it's still not working. What's going on? 
And Marsh just starts breaking bone after bone, and it's all terrible and awful. And then the tiny sliver of him that has remained outside of Ruin's control sees her earring, remembers Spook's message, and in his crowning glory moment, uses Alamancy to rip it out. Ruin loses his hold on Vin, and the misses rush into her. With access to that power, she heals her wounds, cuts down the Inquisitors, and ultimately ascends to become the new preservation. Go, Vin! Around the final empire, people see the change in the mists because they're all flowing towards Luthadel. Spook and the others urge everyone into the cash caverns, and Ellen rushes to Luthadel to find Vin. He finally figures out the horseshoe trick. The first generation, Condra, realize the time of the resolution has come, and the seconds revolt, taking Sezed, the first prisoner. Tensoon is actually unable to get out of the area of past all the lava field, so he circles back, rescues Sez. Ruin takes control of the Chondra, but they enact the resolution, and most of them pull their spikes. Ellen finds Luthadel in ruins and finds the remaining people hunkered down with the terrace, including Demo and his troops. Vin's voice on the wind leads him to the Chondra homeland, which is just right there, to give Sezed some help with the Chondra that had remained under Ruin's control. Ellen finally gets his hand on the ATM cache. A flash of insight hits him, and he has Demo try a bead of ATM, and it works. Demo and his group are seers. Frustrated by her inexperience and Ruin's constant blocking of her attempts to help the people, she's, Vin attacks him directly, but she can't harm him without doing equal damage to herself. Ellen, meanwhile, leads a suicide charge of seers against the mass of Kolos, the, the only hope left for the people huddled in the homeland. He cuts down Kolos under the influence of the power until Marsh, the final remaining Inquisitor, joins the fight. Ellen runs out of metals, and Vin feeds him power through the mists, and he sees her, Bufasa in the cloud style, and then burns Duralumin with his remaining atium, and he gets his it's full of stars moment and sees preservation's entire plan, and he allows Marsh to strike a killing blow and gets off a final dying comment, Ruin's body is gone, burned by Ellen to the seers in the fight. And lucky for Ellen, burning the ATM at this point didn't just send it back to ruin, because that would have been very bad. With Ellen dead, Vin can finally do what she has to, destroy herself to destroy ruin. Her body appears ne next to Ellen's in front of Sezed's eyes, along with ruin's host, AT. At first overcome by grief, he soon sees first preservation leaking from Vin's body, then ruins leaking from Aetis. He picks up both shards and ascends, uses the powers and the knowledge in his copper mines to fix the world's orbit, geology, plant and animal life, and basically everything. And finally, Spook awakes, mysteriously healed, and leads the exodus from the caverns. They find a field of green grass, super weird, and other groups of people who'd been in the caverns hundreds of miles away, almost as weird, and Vin and Ellen's body resting in a patch of flowers, and everyone is sad. Spook picks up a book written by Sezed explaining what happened, that Vin and Ellen's souls are fine, and oh, hey, you're a Mistborn now. Hope that's cool. It was Kelsier's idea. And everyone goes, wait, Kelsier's idea? And the end. Okay. So, this is a book with lots of twists and turns and reveals in it that give us a lot of information that we've wanted to know across the entire series. I would like to know what your favorite of these twists and turns were, of these reveals. I think mine probably has to be the reveal that Vin's earring is a hemologic spike, but that's because of the fact that in the for the release party, uh, 
the release parties used to happen at like six o'clock the day of the book release. So we would stand in line with the book in our hands, sitting there reading, chatting, trying to not pay attention. And standing in line, waiting, there's a group of us, somebody flips open the book, glances down, reads a little bit, snaps the book shut and goes, oh, I just did a big doo-doo. <laughs> and, and, and we were all like, what? And he goes, I just, 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 I just found out something about Vin's earring. And that was Spoilers. they they didn't that was all they said. So the rest of us just knew that there was something weird going on, but we didn't know exactly what, what you know that Vin's earring was a spike or anything. Mm-hmm. But they had only read up to like chapter three or what was it? Whatever the preview chapters were. So they went from the preview chapters to the spoiler about Vin's earring sitting in line so that's one of my fun fond memories of the release party is that person accidentally spoiling themselves big time <laughs> yeah so like it, it's funny you say that because like i i knew about vince earring before i started book one because like i i i came to brandon through wheel of time so it's like the entire trilogy was already out by the time I picked it up. So like I I I knew that uh Vin's earring was a spike and that Sazed became Harmony before starting the first book. Um which which was fun. But like I know that like I can vaguely remember like on the forums there was a big thing about the big unnoticed thing which ended up being Vin's earring is a hemorrhagic spike, which is like, oh cool. Yeah, my, that's my favorite twist, probably, too. Um, I, we did a lot of theorizing about it before it came out. And the one of the like key moments was in book one when Elendi says, I wear the he thinks I wear the piercings of the hero unjustly. And then we started saying Elendi had piercings. Who else has piercings? Mm-hmm. Um. But even though, like, we were kind of guessing at it at the time, it's just pulled off, like, all the pieces, like, because Vin never gets the information to need. Like, Vin knows that she's not taking the mists in and that the mists are being repelled, and we're seeing that, and we see that happen with the Inquisitors somewhere else. And then we get Spook's thing about any piece of metal can be a spike under the right circumstances. We have the crazy mom declaring her to be a queen and killing her little sister messily. And so like the way he, this is my favorite kind of twist when all the pieces are kind of sprinkled out all over the place and then you put them all together and it, it was just really well done. Um, I did also like the twist of who the hero was because I forget how this came out, but at some point someone said, the one of the big mysteries of the series is on the first page of book one. Brandon um, said that. Brandon said that, yeah. And so like, and the quote is from an epigraph that says, I'll bear the future of the world on my arms, not on my shoulders or in my arms. And so the payoff that it was Cezed and the he bore the future of the world in his metal minds. Um, I, I like that one as well. Yeah, I, I have one more comment on like the Vin's earring thing, which is that 
there's a chapter where it's like she remarks on her unexplained ability to pierce copper clouds. And then the next chapter, the epigraph is about inquisitors who were seekers having an enhanced ability to use bronze and like how that explains their ability to pierce copper clouds. I'm just like, it's just like, it's, it's all right there. Right there. There are so many little clue by fours that that Brandon has sprinkled through these. And that's just something you can do when you write a trilogy all the way through the way he did this one. You can go back and revise and and seed in all the little bits of foreshadowing. And it's just so beautifully woven together. And I, I was particularly fond of the ATM twist there at the end where Ellen's like, Ha ha, pwn you. It, it, it's just great. Also that the ATM never left the pits of Hathson mm-hmm. and was right where it started. Like that was like... Oh yeah. Yeah, that's also my, would be my favorite. It well, is my favorite reveal here. And it's it's that and Elena actually has this great line when Sazed like shows him the atium that like my people are starving and they can't eat metal. I'm like, yes, they can. They are going to eat all that atium. <laughs> but it's really the scene right before they go out in charge. Like Ellen gives that speech of like mm. where like the final line of defense, and then like he bursts with light. Um and like goes out charging and then it's like all of the others follow behind him it's gets into like my one of my favorite tropes it's um and it's very similar to the scene in the lord of the rings two towers the movie during the battle of helm's deep where it's like the riders like ride out of um the keep and just like kind of fight off and then like reinforcements arrive but it's like it's that like hopeless charge it's just like oh you're doing good, not for yourself, but for the people you're defending. It's like, oh, it's so good. In the end, he knew what was going to save them wasn't necessarily holding off the Coloss, though that helped. What was going to save them was using up all the ATM so that Ruin couldn't get it. My favorite reveal is probably one of the less climactic ones, but where Ruin reveals himself to be to have been Rin's voice in Vin's head, and... I think when I was reading it this time this time around, I was just like, wow, this hits harder than I remember it hitting because you've heard you've heard Reen speaking all of this time and Vin's just like like Vin kind of dismisses it by the end of the series. It doesn't affect her quite as much, but it's still obviously deeply woven into her psyche. And so it's it's just it's so intimidating when Ruin comes up and is like, anyone can betray you, Vin. Anyone and Vin's like Ah, okay <laughs> great it, that's that's fun to hear it, it's like a reversal of because she starts by assuming that reen betrayed her and then finds out that the real reen never betrayed her but then the voice she thought was reen does betray her so yeah. it, it's like this full circle moment around that theme as well as of of betrayal my favorite is Sazed learning about the first generation and it's yeah. just he almost misses the information and it's just such a subtle reveal i find well not subtle but it's not a big climactic reveal that hey the first generation were actually like rash x pac-man 
Like that one really hit me this time around. And like I knew that, but I kind of forgotten that. And it just hit me all over again. It's like it's we're kind of in the same boat as the characters in that moment. Because like it's the thing is like, oh, like Sazed, not Sazed, Rorschach, uh made his friends the first Alamancers. It's like we don't we never doubt that. Yeah. I'd never like, doubted we, that ever. I just taken it as it is. And it's not until it's brought up in the narrative that that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, wait, then what does make sense? Because if he had done that, they would have all been able to challenge him because they were all Farukamists. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it's the fact that Cezanne hears this through a door and almost missed the information. Mm-hmm. And this is like pivotal information to his mm-hmm. story. And he almost didn't get it. Like, I I really liked the way that was done. Mm-hmm. And soon I, was like, man, I was wondering if you were going to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was well, coming like, here expecting this. And, okay. Yeah. And it, 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 it is so beautiful as part of Sazet's arc. Because mm-hmm. his whole thing is about finding faith. And, like, that's, like, a moment of providence. It's just like, it's... Mm-hmm could have been missed so easily yep and yet it wasn't and and that i think is what's so satisfying about this book is because there's a lot this is a trope in fantasy actually a lot like the near missed connection like people are separated and they like just miss each other like that tends to happen a lot and this book plays with that but the connections hit a lot of the time like they almost miss and then they hit like even like Goradel being killed and then it's like, no, the message was so close. It's not going to get. But then you realize Marsh has it and then Marsh is able to act on the information. So like mm-hmm. it's just especially if you read a lot of fantasy and have experienced that, like they were so close and they missed each other moment. Having it pay off multiple times in this book is like it's just so satisfying. It really is. It's a 99% a good book. (laughs) (laughs) Except that 1% did. Yes, which like, um, I kind of want to say, I don't like Spook because of how his arc ends. But I kind of want to save that for the character episode. Okay. But yeah, 99% of a good book. So close, Brandon. So close. What I really liked in this book as a... um, like a cap to the original trilogy is the homage it paid to the kind of formula of the other books. Mm -hmm. Like he still found a way, even though the world was ending to fit a ball scene in, because that's part of the like DNA of, um, of the series, of the series, right. Is is the, the fancy, you know, Vin gets dressed up, um, moment. And like, what a ball scene. Oh, and like first time they dance. Just to say, I'm trying so hard to not gush about that because I'm like, that's, that's for the character. Yeah. Like (laughs) the relationships episode, but yes, that I love that ball. Yeah. And yeah, like you get like the, the repeat of the Inquisitor fight um, from earlier, only Vin's like just smacking them down and it's at Credit Shaw again. Um, oh my gosh, when Vin blows up Credit Shaw with a steel push, mm-hmm. 
Like, yes. I love um, Elon coming along later, be like, oh my god, what the hell did that? Like, your it was wife, your wife, dude. It was your wife. Like, going off of, like, fulfilling like, the yeah. tropes of the series, like, there's a planning session at the beginning <gasps> of the book, which, like, I forgot about. It's like, oh, wow, they, he really does do a planning session at the beginning of every book in this trilogy. Yeah. Such a satisfying... One thing that is impressive is how satisfying the ending is when it for most readers it comes out of left field that this character that you've thought the entire time was a secondary character as it turns out is the most important character in you know you get all of your you get vin dying and you get so many deaths but at the same time by the end you're still really satisfied with how everything turned out and that's a rare thing and and one of the other things I like is how Brandon managed to write this book to where every every character that we know had some kind of really important role to play. Like you you needed to have Spook in that place at that time. You you had to have Ellen doing the things he did. You had to have Tensoon running around and and never finding Vin. Yeah. And you you had to have all of these people doing these things. And while not necessarily all any of them put together everything, enough of them got enough of the pieces to bring them to the right place at the right time. And all of preservation's plan fell into place. I also <clears throat> just love how we do get uh happy ending in the fact that the world doesn't explode but you spend the entire book being like the the world is ending like what is going on and it just gets worse and worse and worse throughout the entire book and right up to the end like i know i was asking myself it's like how is brandon gonna pull this off because you like even on my first read i knew that the world couldn't end because this is an error two so clearly something happens so the world continues but what is he going to do to make that work? And he makes it work. He pulls it off and he makes that work. And it doesn't feel like he's just pushed a happy ending into the final slot because that's what needs to happen. He's actually done the work to get it to that point where everything makes sense and everything slots together. I mean, it's not still not the perfect happy ending because Vin and Ellen die. Yeah. And that makes me sad bittersweet melancholy to the yeah. end yeah where like mm -hmm. yes the world is saved but like and maybe that's why it works is because mm -hmm. brandon did decide to go through and kill a vin and ellen it meant that it wasn't a perfect we've ticked all the boxes formula at the end like yeah the world mm -hmm. was saved but not everyone is going to be happy at the same time so maybe that is why it works so well i think this book is an uh, we said mentioned before how he wrote these books back to back and i'm really excited for him to do because he's planning on doing that with the era three mm -hmm. trilogy i think and i'm really excited for that especially with how much more he's learned since mm -hmm. he wrote this trilogy yeah yeah one of one of my favorite creators is uh, Rebecca Sugar who did Steven Universe and she talks about building the twists in her series as she starts at a point and then breaks it down into like what does the audience need to understand for this to make sense and she breaks it down breaks it down breaks it down and then seeds the like base level tiny pieces in the series as she goes along 
And that's what I really see Brandon doing here. Like, okay, we need to understand how hemallergy works to a point so we can get how spikes are made. And we need to understand that Vin has a connection to the mists. And we need to understand that how, you know, like he's done all the reader education so he can have this twist that's very like magic based. Most of the twists in this book are very like magic based, but he's educated us enough that we understand it on a really deep level. And so it's just so satisfying <laughs> to be able to go back on the reread and see how telegraphed some of these were and go, how did I miss this? Yeah. It feels like an extension of the magic that we know, not a creation of new things within the magic. Like it doesn't feel like Brandon suddenly decided, actually it can do this thing and it can do that thing. These feel like they were always there, that the magic could always do this. Mm -hmm. Even with the religions that Sezed chooses to pitch to people in the early books and throughout the series, like he made sure to pick ones that like are relevant to remaking the world, like the ones that focus on astronomy and the ones who have really good maps, so that at the end he can say, Sezed has all this information. And it's like, yeah, we knew he had all that information. Another thing like there there were like just a couple like not easter eggs but like i liked the politics in this book yes like basic specifically like yeomans and the citizens politics because like i i formed connections with both of them because yeoman is basically doing the whole roman republic I think it's Roman Republic. Might be Roman Empire. I don't know. But like bread and circuses. Like that's what he's doing. Like he's appeasing the masses with like with balls and like mm -hmm. normalcy. And then uh the citizen reminded me of when I read Animal Farm. Mm. Um because it's like, particularly when he's like, they change like the approved colors. It's like, oh, now government people can wear red. That used to be a forbidden color. Because it's like, it's the whole like, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how human nature is. Like, uh, that's a really cool comparison. I've never actually compared Yeoman to the citizen before, but we do kind of have like the two extremes of we're going to keep everything like it was when the Lord Ruler was around and we're just going to go on as life as normal. And then the citizen is the other end of the spectrum where we're saying, oh, no, this is a complete overhaul of the system. The Scar are in charge now. The you know nobles are being killed and it kind of extreme. Mm -hmm. And how the citizens' society still kind of resembles the oppression of the final empire. Um, mm -hmm. In some ways, maybe more so than Yeoman's um, kingdom does. Uh, so it's it's interesting. I like seeing the, compar the comparison to Kelsier as well with the mm -hmm. citizen and how mm -hmm. he's just trying to follow what the... Uh, what the survivor would have done. And it really asks the question of like, well, if Kelsier had died... Would his well, civilization actually have ended up like this? And I think that there is like a genuine chance that it could have 
turned into what the citizen created if Kelsia had survived and been left in charge. He, he definitely least. wouldn't have been happy with Ellen being put in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no, because it was Ellen's speech that stopped, like, the massacre in Lucidel. Mm-hmm. And, like, that wouldn't have happened if Kelsia was still around. I don't think Kelsia would have wanted to stop it. I think Kelsia would have just let it run run its course and said that, like, oh, this is necessary. This is what we need for society to move forward. I, I think he would have let it run further than Elen did because, obviously, Elend has... Um, he is a noble, right? <laughs> so, um, but I think Kelsier, at some point, he would have wanted to have swooped in and grandstanded and said, we can stop fighting now, we've done it, and brought it under control. Because he also has that kind of charismatic uh, performer um, aspect to him. But yeah. definitely, I think he's farther down the the spectrum, definitely, than Helen yeah. is. I agree that that's what Kelsier would have wanted to do. I don't think he could have stopped it, though. Like, mm-hmm. like I think like it would have gotten too powerful and it would have gotten beyond his ability to stop very quickly. So, Yeah, uh, I mean, if later, you know, after he the Church of the Survivor really got started then, but by then he was dead. So it, 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 it was the whole catch-22 of Kelsier had to die in order to get that much influence. Yeah. I had just a fun little thing that I liked when I was rereading this, and it's to do with the Lord Ruler's um, caches and the plaques on the wall, and they get to the last one, and he basically gives up, right? And what he's writing is like, nothing's worked. It's all gone wrong. I don't know why I'm doing this. But he's just, he's got this line and I love it so much. It's, um, that is primarily why I decided to go through with the creation of this plate. Doing so seemed to make the thing angry. That is reason enough, I think. He made the plate out of spite. <laughs> and I find that so funny. It's like bleep ruin. Jerk. Yep. He's like, oh, I'm writing something really important, Ruin, and you can't read it. Look at all the secrets that I'm writing on here that is going to screw your plan over. I don't think that any of these matter anymore, but you get angry when I do them, so I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Do we realize the caches themselves are a distraction for Ruin because it makes him think that the ATM, like Vinny thinks the ATM must be in one of them. So... It's also a clever misdirection on the part of of Rashik. And I don't know how much he intended to do that or not. Uh, He clearly didn't didn't feel the need to tell anyone that's what he was doing if he knew he was doing it. The the shell game doesn't work if you only have one shell. You gotta have multiple shells. And he wanted to make sure that, you know, just because Ruin can't read the plate doesn't mean he won't have some sort of minion who can do it for him like Marsh did later. Yeah. The other thing I liked about that line, Jesse, is the like, that's reason enough, I think, is such a yeah. terrorist phrasing. Yeah. And it's like, <sighs> the attention to detail. Well, mm-hmm. and because you're also wondering, I remember when we first started reading the epigraphs when they were being released um, as preview chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, they went up to the one before where it mentions Rayshek in the third person. 
so there were all these theories, you know, is it, is it Cezed? Is it Rayshek? Is it like, who is it? Cause we were kind of expecting it to be another person from the past. Like we had Alendi, we had Quan. Um, so Rayshek would have made sense. And then we got the book and the very first epigraph that hadn't been released was, I think this is what Rayshek did when he was, and it's like, okay. <laughs> that draws. <laughs> I remember I thought from the beginning that it was Seized because of of the fact that uh, Seized does his, it, it's like, I am, or he does like, I think, or I am it's, unfortunately the hero of ages. Yeah, that's, that's what, but, super Seized thing to do. And the graphic yep. audio muddles, manages to muddle this a bit by not having Seized be the one reading the epigraphs. He, they have Spook read the epigraphs because it makes sense in context because Spook gets the book at the end. Yeah. Oh, but it also cool. gives that layer of obfuscation as to who's really writing them. Didn't they originally release it with Seized being the person reading the... and they I had to re-record it? Don't know about that. I know that some people have complained about like the audible version where it's very obvious that the narrator is using the same voice that he uses for Sazed when he reads it. So that on audible it's obvious, but on graphic audio they they managed to layer it to where you don't necessarily figure it out. At least it's not like glaring in your face. Yeah, like the graphic audio did a lot of cool things in this book cuz like as you mentioned in your re um your recap of the plot is like of vin's voice on the wind and it's like they do like they have like an audio effect there where it's like like it's not like obvious like that that it's vin's voice but it's like it sounds enough like vin's voice that like like it sounds like oh like just barely being able to pick up her voice on the wind Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's it, such a cool effect. And, and and it gets more obvious that it's her the more times it happens, too. Mm -hmm. She gets a little stronger every time. And fun fact, you can't hear that at all if you're listening to it in the car. One thing that I usually skim over in rereads is kind of the, like, the parts where they're all talking about statistics and they're like, 16, this is weird. And, and I'm normally just like, okay, I know this number's boring, move on. But I I read it, and it's it's actually, it's interesting how they, or how dramatic Brandon kind of wrote that first scene especially, with them going, nope, this is 16, and this is 16, and this, precisely, down to the number. And it's like, oh, I guess reading this for the first time, yeah, this actually was weird. And it was like, oh, there is something going on here. That's weird. Mm -hmm. Which wasn't, which was something that on most rereads, I was, I kind of forgot about and kind of ignored. But that was, that, that's a cool moment. It, it definitely took me several rereads to even start understanding that sequence and that twist like <laughs> well and new readers now being able to enjoy you know how important 16 is to the cosmere versus back when we were first reading that was our first hint that 16 was important to the cosmere i mean this is also our first hint of like anonalsium and stuff so mm -hmm. there were so many things that we just 
didn't truly appreciate at the time. I love how later Ellen is mentioning it to Yeoman. He's like, isn't this super weird? And Yeoman's like, nah, it makes total sense because X, Y, Z. And Ellen's like, oh, okay, I'll just... uh." Stand over here, then. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the spiel of all like the different like sixteens like in lore, and it's like, and then like the offhand mention of sixteen alimentic metals, and just like, wait, challenge like what? Yeah, Yuman didn't even know that he just had extrapolated off like, well, they have to be in groups of four, and we've got twos and twos, so therefore there's got to be sixteen. It wasn't a there are sixteen medals and I can name them for you. He just extrapolated that fact and then throwed it in with the other sixteens. It, it's it's almost like he's one of our own seventeenth shard theorists who has been <laughs> studying this stuff for so long and built his theories and discussed it with other people that he's just totally forgotten that normal people don't know this. Man, Yeoman in the seventeenth shard would actually be really cool. Yeah, if if, if that happened, that that would be neat. Another line I really found amusing was um, after Tensoon rescues Sazed and like the first generation are assimilating their new bones. Like Sazed like has a thought about like like is worried about not dealing with the second generation immediately, and like Tensoon like consoles him like it's it'll, it'll only be a couple hours, and Sazed says the words. What harm could they possibly do? <laughs> Which is like, <sighs> oh, ever? If ask I was that. in a book, I would never say those words. Yeah, yep. because it's just narrative causality. Yes. It's like going into the dark, creepy house at nighttime because you hear a voice. Everyone knows that's how you die in the horror movie, but yet people still do it in films. Whereas if I was in a film, I would be going the other way. One of the things I love about this book also is the thematic payoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I specifically love them in the context of the part names. This book has my favorite part names, (laughs) which is maybe a nerdy thing to life, but... The two I love are the final two are Beautiful Destroyer, great name, and um, Trust. And I love how the part Beautiful Destroyer really digs into the duality of who Vin is, right? Because one of her big conflicts has been, you know, the beauty of noble society and the destruction that it causes and her violence as a person. Um Alamancy is also beautiful destruction because it's very um, aesthetically beautiful, you know, graceful uh, movements and such. And Ruin has that quote where he says, you are a piece of me, you know, beautiful destroyer, blunt and effective. Of all those I've claimed over this brief thousand years, you are the only one who I think might just be able to understand me. Um, And... uh, like the payoff of how that pays off the themes earlier. It's just mm-hmm. so good. And then he follows it up with trust when this whole book series has been about trust and betrayal. And then you get the other payoff that the ADM cash is called the trust. And you have Elend trusting in Vin and Vin trusting in like preservation and. Say Zed learning to trust, like, 
the plan and the old religions again. Like it's just, mm-hmm. I've, it's hard for me to think of a book that paid off so well thematically as this one does, I think. And I love that we got the name of the trust and like the trust warren very yeah. early on in the book. It's one of um, Tensoon's mm-hmm. first chapters. And it's, and it, Tensoon, like, it's just an offhand reference. It's like, it's not like, he doesn't think too much about it. He doesn't think like, oh, like, he doesn't even like think about that there's this huge secret around the trust because like, it's just the trust to him. Like, all Kandra knew this. Like, it's not even something like he would think about. Yeah. I found it interesting with this book because I really like zoned in this time on how different this book is to the other two it's just such an expansion of the world the story the antagonists and what they're actually doing compared to the other two which are very luthadel based and even with the release of ruin and the well at the end of the second book we don't really get any of that in the second book there's just the okay here's the setup for the third book and then going into the third book we're suddenly in these different places we've got so many more povs than before and all of them are important for different reasons the world is ending it's just such an expansion from the first and second book and it really stood out to me this time i don't think this is a bad thing at all it just really jumped out as something that was different going straight from well of ascension to hero of ages and it's all i i 100 agree with you it opens it up so much but then the cool thing is at the end he still brings them back to freaking luthadel right <laughs> like like he's still again when we were talking about like the formula of these books luthadel is like part of the dna of this series that city so he mm-hmm. I love that he like expanded it and they had to go different places with the plots that were going on, obviously, but he knew, but they got to end up back at Luthadel somehow in the central dominance. And it wasn't like, just at Luthadel, it was like Credit Shaw as well. Yeah. We had to, we had to go back and recreate that Credit Shaw moment from the first book again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But like, speaking of bringing things full circle, it's like, like there was a house war in Luthadel like it's mm-hmm. like it we don't really like deal with it in the books but like that's what why ruin spiked penrod and it's like that's what they were trying to do in the first book another thing i want to shout out in this book is slow swift our tolkien cameo yeah like oh really yeah yeah slow swift is, is is tolkien <laughs> it's oh. grandpa tolkien <laughs> okay i didn't know, I didn't know this i uh, I, yeah. I didn't know this uh, yeah, it's um, it's like the, the description of him like matches Tolkien's description, and like he has the lines about like um, like do you enjoy stories, young lady? What kind of stories? The best kind, of course. Slow Swift said, tapping his book. The kind about monsters and myths, long tales, some call them. Stories told by Ska around the fires, whispering of mistrates, sprites, and brawlins and such. See, I thought that was Hoyd the first time I read this book. That's what I thought. No. The first because, time. like, that's very hoid as well. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but then, then he makes it very clear that it's not Hoyd because then yeah. she's going to go meet with Hoyd and then has yeah. the bad yeah. feeling. That, like, that's what it's like, oh, I guess it wasn't Hoyd then. This is kind of strange. Mm-hmm. That is really yeah, cool. I didn't know that. I, I didn't get that reference until I think Brandon wrote about it in an annotation or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw it, but I definitely didn't catch it when I read it first. Okay, well, thank you for watching, everyone. You can find us at 17shard.com for your news, discussion, theories, and fun that you could ever want. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can subscribe on YouTube, and you can also support us on Patreon. See you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.